G'day and welcome to Grad Chat, your opportunity to find out about graduate research here at Queen's. My name is CJ the DJ and I am your host for this week's Grad Chat. Of course, a show like this could not happen without the support of the School of Graduate Studies and CFRC, so thank you very much. Now, if your mates miss the shows at any time, you can download the podcast the next day on either SoundCloud or iTunes, as well as CFRC have their own podcasting now and they will be putting it on their podcast list as, as two. So no excuse not to hear what our awesome students and postdoctoral fellows are doing. Now today I would like to introduce you to Leo Ehrlichman who is doing a Master in Sociology under the supervision of Victoria Sistma, Heather Murray and David Walker. So welcome to Grad Chat Leo. Thank you. Now before you go into your research um, topic could you please explain to everyone what exactly is sociology? Well, so sociology is the understanding of individuals within groups. It's the easiest way to explain it. I particularly focus on the sociology of health, so understanding how individuals operate within uh, and how they make their decisions in health-related fields. Well, that was easy. Sometimes yeah. people get it a bit confused. So actually, thank you. That was a, a really good explanation. <laughs> That'll help me down the track as well. So your research topic is youth alcohol in Kingston. Really interesting topic. Topic. What made you want to look at this in the first place and how are you looking at it? Yeah, so this is a little bit of a passion project for me. So uh, my first year at Queen's was in 2010 and we obviously, for those who are aware, 2010 was a tumultuous time at Queen's when it came to alcohol. There were quite a few fatalities related to alcohol and substance abuse uh, that were near and dear to me. And that kind of sparked an interest in understanding alcohol. Then when I finished my Queen's career, I ended up working for a fraternity and I ended up traveling across North America and particularly Canada. And one of the things we focused on was alcohol safety and awareness about oh, okay. alcohol's risks. Right. And the research interest really peaked to me. You know, you see in the news all the time where students have fatalities for alcohol. But I was giving a talk uh, at Dalhousie to, uh, to a group of students. And the day before, a student had actually passed away from alcohol. They had, oh, no. they had passed away. It was in 2015. And that kind of got me really upset. And uh, I ended up ranting to my friends quite a lot about this and ended up working in real estate development the next year. And every time I would go on one of these rants, one of my friends just went to me and said, if you're going to keep ranting, either do something about it or stop. So I said I would do something about it and then applied to graduate studies and was fortunately accepted to Queens, where I then kind of championed this cause because, as we'll explain a little bit further, alcohol research is unique. Uh, and in Canada, it's really in its infancy. That, to be honest, that's I find that quite surprising because alcohol at universities, I mean, even in my day, we all drank way too much than we should. I mean, I don't remember hearing about deaths associated with alcohol or substance abuse, but I'm sure it was there. I think it was covered up. I think now what is nice is that people are actually talking about it. And as you're trying to do is do something about it to see see what we, what we can do. So I guess what I would like to ask you then is when you say youth, what age group are you looking at? So when we look at youth, we're looking at people aged 12 to 24. Uh, I know that seems like a large range, but generally in substance abuse research, 12 to 24 is that youth demographic. Right. We are also looking at a post-secondary lens. Uh, so we are focusing a little bit on post-secondary students in Kingston. My research is really looking at alcohol the same way we look at the flu. Right? What are the populations involved and how do they associate with the substance? And for us, we are looking at 12 to 24, but if you were to take people under the age of 17, it'd be 
pretty small sample size and it wouldn't right. be a very large study. I, I would hope it was a very small sample um, size. Which is what we're fortunate for. And then we're looking at post-secondary institutions in Kingston as a general whole. So there are three post-secondary institutions. Kingston is a very heavy, quote-unquote, student town. So we're looking at what post-secondary students particularly look at and then compare them to their peers, right? Are you looking at them in one group? Are you looking? Are you splitting up between the stats for females versus males? So we've subdivided it quite extensively. So we're looking at males and females. We're looking at demographics on where they live, okay. where they're coming from. And then again, the, the post-secondary institution that they're affiliated with. Are they affiliated with an institution? Are, so we have those questions. We really have four kind of categories of people. We have those who are not affiliated to any institution, those affiliated with the Royal Military College of Canada, those affiliated with uh, St. Lawrence College, and those affiliated with Queen's. And we worked pretty extensively in our methods section to ensure that it was objective on identifying those individuals. Right. So residences on campus versus, or in notes, right? So right. a patient recounting to a doctor that they attend a post-secondary institution to make it that we are looking at this as an as unbiased way as possible because we don't really want to shine a light on one situation. We, again, want to make sure that uh, the general public knows that we're looking at it as just this is what alcohol looks like in a post-secondary environment. And are you looking at it from the perspective of what what the hospitals see? So we're really looking at it as a harm reduction and community resource allocation study. Again, alcohol is an interesting subject. We've been studying it since the late 70s, early 80s. And the thing that really is interesting is that binge drinking has remained remarkable consistent. So okay. binge drinking is the term for those who are unfamiliar of having five drinks in two hours for males or four drinks in two hours for females. And that's considered a high risk endeavor for alcohol intake. So those individuals are generally intoxicated acutely. So how we're looking at alcohol in the hospitals, we're really dividing people into three quote unquote buckets, if you may, because not every patient looks the same. And there's right. just three kind of global patterns that we can adjust people in. So our first one is obviously those who are acute acutely intoxicated. So that's an individual who may arrive unconscious or who is just extremely intoxicated that requires medical assistance. The second are those who appear for mental health reasons who we haven't excluded. We have a pretty rigorous exclusion criteria. So not patients with past medical histories of mental situations or patients who have been assessed by a form, which is where you are held at the hospital for about 24 hours to 72 hours for a psychological evaluation. So we have that mental health presentation bucket, which is again a very small bucket and then the the third third one is those who are injured or have another situation that has alcohol as the contributing factor to what caused a secondary involvement. So it could be anything like a broken arm because they've fallen down. So broken arm from they've fallen down, they've lacerated themselves, uh, even to a really bad hangover, right? Right, Something where alcohol was involved to them accessing medical resources in the city of Kingston. must be horrible seeing that. I mean, you're probably going to say this a bit later, but already with what you've done is a different certain time of the week that, of course, there's more people coming in, and I would assume, you know, coming up to the weekend. But I guess we shouldn't assume. So one of the things that we are looking at is temporal trends. Obviously, Thursday, Friday, and Saturday are kind of the peaks. And then we do kind of see it in different ways. So on the Halloweens, the St. Patrick's Days, right, mm-hmm. kind of those universal... Let's uh, get out and party days. Yeah, exactly. We, we see different times where we're looking at even to the time that they arrive. So we have three shift swings that we identified. The General general trend is day, evening, and night. So 7 right. a.m. to 3 p.m., 3 p.m. to 11 p.m., and then 11 a.m. to 
11 p.m. sorry to 7 a.m. as well right. um, to see when patients are coming to see when we're utilizing these resources. So what does the current research say and and what are you doing differently in this study? So my range it's uniquely Canadian. So, so you're not looking worldwide just Canadian. Yeah so we're looking Canadian then we're looking at Kingston. So alcohol research is dominated by the United States of America. They have massive institutes that pour tens of millions of dollars into research for alcohol every single year but the issue is that we face in Canada is that particularly the research is focused in America and based in America. So even our national health assessment, so the, the largest survey for post-secondary health in Canada is run actually by an American institution. Oh, okay. And Canadian institutions, no, not all of them participate, actually get their data from them. So the way we're looking at our students' health right. is run from a lens that's American, which I think is a little bit interesting. And the other thing is, that, so because of that, there's no coordinated system of post-secondary health, right? All alcohol research is generally based off self-reporting data. So a survey right. will go out mm -hmm. and ask you, how many times do you binge drink, again, using that term, yes. in a 14 or 30 day setting. And if you binge drink once in 14 or 30 days, you're categorized as high risk. So what we're looking at is what are the impact factors? Because rarely do those surveys ask, did you have a medical intervention? So right. we, we have, uh, there's a Hingson study that claims- Sorry, uh, what's a Hingson? Hingson is the author. So there's six authors on the study, but it's okay. titled by him. And it's the kind of cornerstone of alcohol harms. It says, you know, about 1,200 patients die every single year from alcohol, well, youth die from alcohol every single year, post-secondary students from incidents related because again, very few people die from acute intoxication. It's more likely motor vehicle accidents, mm -hmm. falling off a roof, right. et cetera. And we don't really, they took that information from news reports and other things and they kind of collected it and made an average and an estimate and guess. But when you look at alcohol research, they really grain that as that's the, the, the Bible. That's how we, okay. that's how we know that alcohol is a problem. They, they take this study and we're looking at it retrospectively. So we're looking at after the fact, what has alcohol done to the hospital? Right, right. Um, and there were docs out of McMaster that said that this is a problem that we don't have a system to collect health data. So what we're hoping to do is first and foremost, make a system that's replicable, that's Canadian, that doesn't rely on self-reporting data. Uh, right. to make evidence-based policy that will benefit local communities. Right. Because again, the way that we currently look at alcohol, it's uh, lens and framed from the United States, but we can see, you know, there are various differences within drinking between America and Canada. And the most obvious one is 21 versus 19 or 18, depending on where you are in the country. Right, right, right yes. That drinking age. And the second big one is that, again, because of the reliance of self-report data, we don't actually know what the severe risk factors and what causing someone to enter the hospital. Is it because they're breaking their leg more often than because the lacerations are, you know, they require stitches all the time, or is it because of something else? So the current norm, but our issue, which is the current norm, but our issue for other academics is that we don't see the questions uh, or studies looking at the resource allocation and utilization for substance abuse issues, right? right? So how is it really impacting a community of 100,000 people? When we talk about in Kingston, you see in the news, right, students are clogging up the emergency rooms and right. things like that. And mm -hmm. you see it all, all over North America, really, these news reports in small communities, how are their resources being extended to deal with alcohol? And we're doing this again for that replicable system because we're seeing another substance come through. So the Toronto Star just recently reported cannabis overdoses, if you, if you will, with the term, have tripled 
in Hamilton. And right. as legalization comes, more substance, to be. More substance mm-hmm. issues. So our study is able to also be used for cannabis in the same kind of understanding. In and terms of the, the procedures that you yeah, can put so, in place? Yeah, so we've created something that is replicable. We hope right. that it will be replicated, that communities and cities can take this and put it into their environment and say, all right, uh, what does it look like in Guelph? What does it look like right. in London, right. Ontario? What does it look like in Lethbridge, Alberta? These studies are there. Um, and the reason why we came up with this replicability is the Canadian Center for Substance Abuse and Addiction uh, reached out, uh, and I reached out to them as well. They did a study just recently in Sherbrooke, Quebec, where they kind of tried to look at this. Um, okay. We're trying to, again, make this like rigorous, replicable system. That it makes sense because then you can have stats, real real stats for across the country as yeah. opposed to just by region. Exactly. And it doesn't have to be a local community in Kingston and a graduate student who is kind of, whose friends told them to stop ranting about alcohol to yeah. come up with this. Um, <laughs> I think it's a little ridiculous that we still rely on the United States to provide our post-secondary health measures. Well, yeah, no, that could be totally different populations. Yeah, and again, you know, if it's a cost thing, um, and because we haven't had the you know, the rigorous methodology based here, there are researchers who look at substance abuse across the country, but all the journals are based in the U.S., and we're trying to... Give a Canadian. Yeah. Can I can I ask one thing? So I'm assuming you're working with KGH and Hotel Jew, or mm-hmm. both of them. Do they not have any sort of statistics right now? Because they, they would have to be writing up their reports of when people come in do they only ever put in their report i've got a broken arm they don't say a broken arm potentially because of so dr murray is uh, an emergency physician uh, and dr walker formerly was an emergency physician so they do chart what the patient is and that's how we understood so our pool was was broken down in a few terms so first ran a a query for anything that would have substance abuse in it okay uh, and then kind of broke it down from alcohol so we'd only include someone that had a broken arm so we had patients so there's a, a database called chirp which is an injury database it's nationwide and on the form they can indicate if alcohol is there so okay if alcohol was a factor so a, a nurse or a physician will we'll make that, check that box check that box so it's i broke my arm and then in the triage notes or in or in the actual notes you'll see you know was drinking alcohol tonight slipped and you know it's like a common foosh, right? F- fell on outstretched yes, arm, yes. right? Probably more like the wrist that was broken. <laughs> yeah, so they, you know they they broke they broke something, and we, yes. we found it out that way. Or you know they came in with substance abuse misuse, and then alcohol's tied into there. So okay, so then with what you're trying to do is create a process which is easier to find that. That it was alcohol. So we, we've identified some codes and then it's about coding. And that, so the code goes into what they do in the emergency or wherever. So then you have to abstract the data. So you have mm-hmm. to look at the charts. Because that's the thing, right? If you can't get it out. Yeah, we've looked at a, a lot of charts. We had total population before we started of there's, there's two databases. We had the Chirp database and another database called Knackers, which is general emergency. Um, so in our Knackers database, we had 2,489 patients to start with. And then it whittled down to just alcohol. So again, because that's the substance abuse misuse, right. was 1,982. So 1,982 okay. so patients still a lot. over a five-year period. And then we had the Chirp database. We had about 1,180 patients originally. And then we found 900. 82 to be eligible. Okay. So we have two kind of big data pools of 1,982 and then plus 982. So it's just over 2,400 patients. But that's a lot of man hours to pull that data. Yes. Yeah, which is um, what you're trying to to make it simpler. Yeah, so we... We got better as we, we worked uh, forward. So Tanner Graham is an undergraduate student here at Queens that was coding with me through the summer. That was nice of them. 
Yeah, so there. Well, he's also, he's also interested in this, and he's doing some research as well. And we we created that replicable system right. that is easy to understand. Right. right. So you have the variables. You know what you're looking for. Scanning through a chart is pretty easy. And luckily, we both had over 97% reliability. Good. And the hospital actually did a congruency analysis on us to make sure that they were verifying. So the clinical research team from emergency medicine verified us, and our lowest score was 85%. But we scored. 95, 92, and 91 on the on the random variables that they tested from us right. to make sure that we were doing it right. So and a lot of those were off of judgment variables. So what is this student a student? Or right. was there drugs involved? We're very happy that we got a very high score. That's great. You know what, Leah, let's just take a quick break and yeah. then we'll be right back. Don't go away, everyone. everyone you are listening to grad chat on cfrc 101.9 fm and i'm currently chatting to leo ehrlichman who is doing a master's in sociology under the supervision of victoria sisma heather murray and david walker now before the break we were talking about youth alcohol in kingston so i'd like to continue on with that leo what impact do you think this research or your research may have for post-secondary health data in canada so as i mentioned before the break is we're hoping to create a system where we can be able to study alcohol and it will be inevitably an issue of cannabis locally to allow for the best evidence-based policy moving forward and to have a system that we can replicate across the country. Um, so it's very important to me that there is a Canadian system of health recording mm-hmm. data. Yeah. And we have the National Health Assessment, but it is run by an American institute. And it's a very long survey, right? So substance abuse issues are different than are you getting your 150, as Queens likes to say, right, yes. you know, minutes of physical activity. Right. And we need to be understanding those, right? Because as in the news, we regularly see these you know, street parties or you you read constantly, but unfortunately in the U.S., you know, another student passing away at some sort of Greek letter event or a football game. Right, or, yeah. You know, there's a whole host on Instagram and social media where people are just kind of laughing at people passed out in stands. And that's troubling to me. It is um, troubling. Because these individuals require help. And I'm hoping that, that we have a system where we can understand who needs the help and then better plan for harm reduction and community resource allocation. So if we look at alcohol, like we look at the flu, right? We know when the flu is peaking up, so we know when to increase our resources. And when you say increasing your resources, increasing resources both within the hospital system and within the community in terms of more information being put out or more alerts. Yeah, so education is a, a big part of it. And then again, looking at harm reduction, right? So pointing out to individuals this is what alcohol looks like in the hospital right this is this is something that can get you hospitalized this is something that a student who breaks their collarbone while drinking might probably not want to get that intoxicated ever again but also be able to find individuals who are repeat visitors repeat right. customers yes. because see the something else that's yeah. doing that too, exactly exacerbating the situation um, and again so the the hope really for posting your health is that, you know in 2018 and i keep plugging this because it blows my mind that there's no system even in ontario but like canada alone mm-hmm. to collect this kind of information and that we rely on the United States for this information and that our post-secondary students' health 
health is being monitored by, while America's our you know, closest ally, quote unquote again, that we aren't looking at how we're doing and that the Ministry of Education isn't looking at this and that post-secondary institutions are relying on an outside source to track their own students' health. So that's what we're, we're really trying to hope, that we can create this system and that it'll lead to other systems where we can be monitoring the health of our students, right. the mental well-being of our students and everything. Because as much as universities are reliant on high-level research and the academic fellows that they have on campus, it is the undergraduate students and graduate students who are the reason for the existence of these institutions. And we need to be making sure that they're served properly. It's interesting. I don't know if what you've looked at so far in the statistics, but I know here at Queen's and I'm sure the other two institutions as well, St. Lawrence and RMC, particularly during orientation and maybe it's not enough during orientation particularly for the undergrad groups they do have talks and information sessions about drinking and and behavior and stuff like that have you seen in just the stats that you've seen so far a change over the last couple of years where there's been more emphasis on highlighting the effects of alcohol or is it not changed at so, all? So again, we're, we're currently in the analysis phase so we, we, we don't have any firm conclusions but we right. did highlight there are peak events that we know of. Right. right. So orientation week is one of them. So even though it's really get pushed out to those undergrads, first year out of being from home, going away from home, and there's a big push to try and tell them, you know, this is not the way to go. So the problem is, uh, and that's something, and actually an interesting thing that you bring up is drinking isn't a unique topic, right? No. We've been talking about it for 40 years. Mm-hmm. And the other really big thing is that most of these students have had alcohol and they have Beforehand. binge drink, yeah. right? Uh, alcohol is one of those unique substances. Cannabis is a little bit similar too, where it's learned, and this is where the sociological lens comes in, right? It's learned through practice and it's also learned vicariously. Right. So while we say that, you know, when people are coming to campus and obviously when they come to campus, they're surrounded by like-minded peers, they're more likely to do different things. But alcohol is based off this kind of selective-based socialization, right? So individual who may have dabbled in substance abuse um, or gotten drunk before in high school, and we know that it's over 60% of high school students will have tried, tried. alcohol yep. at least. And those students will look for people that will drink in similar patterns or want to do similar things. Right. So we, the research tells us that this is what we can look for where we see an early peak. Uh, and we do see high numbers in September and October. You know, The news will tell you that, that we'll have an early peak in substance use where people are going to emulate their peers and try and find the group that they're comfortable with. So a student who may have drank a little bit might find a group that drinks a lot and they try and keep up and they, that right. might end them, that might have ended them up in my study that might not have, but they'll try and find a group they're comfortable with. Mm-hmm. And that's a, that's a really interesting thing that I think needs to be involved in that policy is that for all the harms that alcohol can do there, there is a uniquely positive social value placed on the substance because right. it's viewed as a socialization tool, the, the social lubricant, right. if you may. Yeah. And so even with that education that we do, it's, one, is it getting through, but then you it's what your peers do. Yeah, exactly. So that's why we're really trying to focus on this harm reduction element, right. um, making sure that people know, right, you know, be careful, don't fall, and, don't, you know, don't don't take on these high-risk endeavors where you see people jumping off, you know. Look after your mates. Yeah, jumping off porches. And that's the other thing, right? Um, and, and this is what the research tells us as well from our, from our literature view is um, those with tight peer groups are very unlikely to... to to be harmed because the, their friends will look out after them. They have the quote-unquote right. buzz check. There's a, Tom, a researcher named Thomas Vanderven called it, right. um, where they go, hold on, you've had a little bit too much. And then we have another group of categories that I like to call it. I like to call the binge drinkers, the, the risky single occasion drinkers, those who really don't know what they're getting into. No, and, and don't know to ask for help because they've gone too far. Well, they're not tightly integrated right, into, into that group. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so. Okay, interesting. So, and the other sort of thing you were talking about, resources, 
what kind of resources are you talking about within the hospital system to improve that? So we're looking at a few, right? Big ones, ambulances. Okay. Um, oh, yeah, good point. Yeah. Uh, it's amazing many, the things you don't think about, right? <laughs> how many people take an ambulance? How many people don't? Right. Uh, things that as simple as do they get a glucometer done? Uh, do they get the kind of more expensive things? Uh, do they get a CT, an x-ray? Were they intubated? Were they admitted to hospital? Okay. Um, so really everything that happens. So what tests were run on them and how long they were in the hospital for. Right. So it's not just of them clogging up emergency. It's all these other things that go around. Yeah. And again, we, we want to make sure that we know that uh, like clogging up, right? Like uh, I want to be very careful that we haven't, word, finished, yes. we haven't finished everything yet, so we're and but that is really what it is, right? How are we staffing right on these peak days? And, right. Right. We know at King's General Hospital they now use the day surgery unit during the peak times, right? Oh, is that right? Okay. St. Patrick's Day, they actually use day surgery to offload right. uh, intoxicated individuals from the main center. And and they figured that out over the years because that's peak times that they've seen themselves without even having a look at your study. Yeah, unfortunately. Yeah, yeah, it is a bit sad, doesn't it? It's very sad. So what is your ultimate aim then, aim for the work that you are doing? I mean, you've alluded to it, but how can you sum that up? So the ultimate aim is that, right, we've been looking at alcohol for four years, right? So the hope is for me... Uh, uh, is that we have this situation, especially with cannabis coming forward, that while there are positive associations with the, the social substances, the alcohol and marijuana, that we have a system in Canada where we can track our post-secondary students' health and make sure that we have the best evidence-based policy moving forward on harm reduction and community resource allocation. That if it's post-secondary students or if it's just youth in general, that we are planning to treat these people uh, in the best way possible. And that's really what I hope my research will kind of bring forward is that we have this system and particularly in Kingston with such a heavy you know, student population. Yeah, exactly. That we can form the best policy. I think it's brilliant. It's long overdue. And like you said, I mean, it's been around for a long time. And why is it now? And, and I'm glad your friend said either shut up or do something about it. Yeah. I think that's awesome. And, and you are doing that. So it's very, very important for all of us. And good luck with the rest of the research. Hope it pans out in the way that you're hoping it to. Yeah, so, so I hope so too. And we're we're really excited to share what we'll have with our community stakeholders. Hopefully I'll be able to come back and kind of explain uh, what the yes. actual, what it actually looks like. Um, <laughs> because we have a little bit of an idea, but until we share it with our stakeholder friends and yeah, that's those who work enough. with us, we want to make sure that... Um, we have everything done. And this is what happens in research. You can't divulge everything until that last, until it's actually been published more or less, isn't it? To make yeah. sure everyone's happy with what's going to go out yeah, we and de- be said. Yeah, again, we want to make sure we're the non-biased, lovely group of people that uh, can kind of help make, make Kingston a safer place. Yeah, and that's what we all like. So I'm, I really appreciate that you're doing that for all of us, and particularly within an institution, because we know it has been an issue. So Leo, Great chatting to you. Thank great you for to- me. Great topic. And it's, just, and it's sad that I'm actually saying it's a great topic, but it is a great topic. Then I'm, I'm glad that you're working on that. So good luck with the rest of it. Thank you. And um, so that's it, everyone. Another week of Grant Chat sadly comes to an end. So don't forget you can download the show tomorrow from either iTunes or SoundCloud. Just type in Grant Chat. Until next week, this is CJ the DJ signing off with a big hooray.